Welcome to A Shameless Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's. Let's see. La La Land of a TV show. Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Doug. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, you know. Can't complain, even though I still will. And um, you already... Sorry, s- I missed, sorry I missed last week, so I'm sorry to inflict, inflict more germane upon the world. What are you talking um, about? You were there. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Let me guess. I was upset about someone having dragons. That only at the very end. <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry I couldn't make it, but uh, I'm back and worse than ever. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. All right, so you came back for a, a turd, I don't know, pasta salad? I redact, I, re, I actually wrote down back-to-back turd sandwiches. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I struggled whether this was a turd sandwich or a dog shit sandwich. I, and, and let me, it's not just the awfulness um, of the, like, the more <laughs> depressing sexual violence. Uh, yes. I think it was just terrible. Like uh, this had a lot of show invention stuff. So obviously yes. we're from a book perspective, even though we haven't read the book and I, it's been years since I've did a full read. Um, so my knowledge is very um, underwhelming, but at the same time, it's, I know that this shit wasn't in the books. So it's just like, no. just crazy, dumb bullshit. Uh, a the lot of it thing, wasn't. The craster thing. Uh, it's just, I don't know what's going on. Um, and you know, uh, Jamie, uh, being a, a I, I, I really do have like serious comments on every scene on this, but, but my summation of the episode in general was it's a lot of boring and a lot of cruelty. I can kind of forgive yeah, the boring true. because the boring, uh, it's definitely, uh, things that get us from point A to point B, but a lot of it is just restating what we knew. And uh, I mean, I know we say these same things over and over and over, but this was particularly bad. And just the amount of cruelty in this episode, which uh, we'll talk about it later, they actually throttle back on the cruelty and also some mixed oh, really? messages that go against the um, go against what actually was happening in the book. So let's just jump into it and we'll uh, lambaste it as we go or lambast. I'm never, I never know how to pronounce that word. It's lambisk. Um, sure. Speaking of uh, just give me last week's. Um you know your your overall opinion of last week's episode. I know you didn't, you weren't, you weren't totally here. Let's say that. That's the official yeah. stance. I was there in spirit. You were there in spirit, uh, but you you watched the full episode. So, what were your feelings or your high points, low points of last week's episode? Uh, I I kind of watched it just to get a general impression of it. I didn't take notes. I I just was I know I remember being disappointed um, because we were, I thought we were coming off two pretty good episodes and nothing on the last episode struck me as particularly good. So, yep. Uh, I think those, although the, the scene with the duel with, uh, Dario Naharis, uh, that I kind of like that scene. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the catapults of the chains, although it was stupid. If you actually inspe- inspected it, I thought it was a pretty fun scene. Uh, other than that, nothing really stood out to me. Um, other than, uh, uh, the, the incest rape next to the corpse. <laughs> next to the incest baby Jesus corpse. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Okay. So, um, guys, if you ever, uh, I know this might be news, but um, if you ever go for like a job interview or want to be serious in life, you have to silence your phone when you go to important uh, meetings or uh, <laughs> or anything like that. You have to be a professional. Just letting you know. Could cost you a job or an opportunity one day. Uh, so, 
Moving on. <laughs> okay, so uh, the show opens with uh, Grey Worm getting a reading lesson from Miss Sandy. Uh, this seems to be a lot of uh, reading lessons. That's kind of a thing here. Uh, we had the uh, Davos and Shireen. But anyway, um, this is obviously a clear uh, pickup artist move by Grey Worm. He starts asking her about her past. Uh, she says she remembers her homeland uh, and a beach. That's about it. Um, she asks him where he came from. Uh, he says he's always been an unsullied. She says that's bullshit. Just a lot of back and forth getting to know you stuff. And then Danny comes in and cock blocks, or I guess nub blocks, Grey Worm, uh, lets him know that it is time, quote unquote. And what it's time for is an amphibian assault on Marine. Uh, Grey Worm, Grey Worm, and a small group of Unsullied uh, swim and a- find an access tunnel into the sewers. They're dressed as common slaves. They arrive in, I guess, a holding pen for these slaves, and it's just like a large group of them. So it's weird that they, I guess, they all sleep in one big like uh, pen. I don't know. Anyway, they're discussing the pros and cons of revolting or whether to play it safe and just wait it out. Uh, Grey Worm uh, tells them that he arrives, tells them that it's better to risk death for their freedom. Uh, when the objection is raised that they are not you know, soldiers, they have no weapons, Grey Worm and his crew drop a shit ton of fucking swords on the ground, and then it is on. Uh, Grey Worm gives a rousing speech uh, about how freedom isn't taken, or is taken and not given. Uh, we cut to an alleyway where a slave master is just chilling and walking around uh, with a couple of guards. He sees some graffiti that reads, Kill the Masters. Uh, he's then surrounded by all sides by attacking slaves, and he is killed. And we see this in lieu of any kind of a large-scale battle that might have cost HBO money. Uh, and later we just cut to Danny entering the city to gr- uh, gracious greetings. He's being greeted as a liberator, much like America was in Iraq both times. Uh, then against Barrison's better judgment and counsel, she commands that one master is crucified for every child that was killed on her way to Marine. Uh, this happens, and then uh, we smash cut to her at the top of the tallest pyramid, looking down on her conquered city, um, with a flag over the statue of the harpy, just like uh, the American flag on top of Saddam Hussein's uh, statue and uh, things. Okay, and then that's it. So, luckily, this is the only Danny scene, uh, but I feel like they crammed a lot. I mean, she just took a city lickety-split. Yeah, the the introduction uh, with Grey Worm and Miss Sandy, I don't care. I, I've never really cared about these characters that much. Now, and I think now that, why is it yeah. because they can't consummate it, or do you think they just they don't they don't spend enough time? What do you think? I don't know. I, I, I may, maybe they were introduced at a point where I was saturated with characters where I just can't care that much about them. But they're also kind of generic in that they don't really have personality so much. They're almost ciphers for what their masters want. Uh, I agree. I I, I, that's I, not their fault. Yeah. I, I think that's that's probably right because, yeah. I mean, they were like, you know, they were slaves most of their life. They didn't have opinions and, uh, you know, they didn't get to cultivate a personality, I guess, as a way of excusing it. But I think you're right. Um, trying to get me to care about these people is uh, is difficult. No, and they do it quite a bit during the the series. Um, you remember later episodes with Tywin or uh, Tyrion and, and Grey Worm and Miss Sandy. I think, I, I, I mean, I could see how other people would think that this is a cute couple. Uh, it just doesn't do it for me. But whatever. Um, the decision not to really show any of the uprising uh, that stunk. I didn't like that. 
Uh, I thought that would have been really interesting, but I understand the budgetary concerns. One of the things was I did like the scene where you just see the the guys, all these slaves coming down the alley. I mean, I thought that was kind of ominous and pretty yeah, cool. It, yeah, it was shot like yeah. a horror movie. I mean, it was just yeah. a horror movie scene, and and it worked. It was effective. But once again, yes, we see one guy die in a you know an entire city. It's of- like the city's done. Yeah, and it's not like the the way that uh, Danny seemed to be pitching it was just slaughter them all. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're going to say yeah. kill the masters and you only kill one, I'm yes. going to feel cheated as a viewer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and if you noticed, uh, they, the, the uh, slaves all speak in one of the variants of Val- Valyrian, or they don't speak the, the, I guess, what would be the substitute for the English language in the show. Yeah, but yet, yet they can graffiti kill it. masters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm sure everybody points that out. Um but uh, I really did not like Danny's decision to crucify the masters. Uh, th- I think this is a really poor decision. Jorah is absolutely right. Right. And the reason, my primary reason, I don't know that I disagree with the uh, justice is justice uh, eye for an eye. I, I kind of get that. But I, the bigger problem I have with it, and I think it's raised later with uh, uh, the, uh, the yeah, the, she kills like a um, a former slave like uh, leader, right? Yeah, I, it's just it, there's no due process. I mean, how many of these guys could have been opposed to it or been in the uh, Marine Underground Railroad? Uh, it just doesn't. It, Danny, someone who seeks justice, should not just kill people without having at least an inquiry into whether this person deserves it. Uh, so I didn't like it, but I did like the shot at the end of Danny on top of the pyramid. I mean, it kind of reminded me of like a. Uh, Hitler shot on top of the eagle's nest, or yep. you know, really imposing, interesting, good shot. Yeah, and I, and once again, I guess is my yeah, I'm I didn't come up with a theory, but I still think Danny is probably a possible bad guy in the end, or she turns yeah. bad. Uh, but yeah, because this is you know it's fucked up, and people give Robert Baratheon like shit for being like the worst king ever, but you know he wasn't. Like he did what Barristan wanted Danny to do. He forgave a shit ton of people. Like after the Targaryen, Targaryen revolution or the, the rebellion that the Brathian, uh, that Robert led um, and he won the throne, he didn't kill just everybody. He forgave everybody and like, you know, gave him a hand up and they kind of trusted him for it. So he gained a lot of allies. Now he wasn't very good at ruling afterwards, but uh, he showed mercy and I think he was rewarded for that mercy. I mean, he, you know, I don't know. It seemed like he brought in a lot of people into the fold as opposed to uh, it might have entrenched some long, uh, you know, uh, some grudges would have been held for maybe generations. Like, you know, if he would have just slaughtered families, heads of families that deposed him like uh, the Tyrells. I mean, the Tyrells were Targaryen loyalists. He didn't have them killed. He just well, yeah, like and his downfall killed. was not like this, the alliances. His downfall was his disagreements with his shitty wife. I mean, that's well, that, that, was his that and just being irresponsible and not even trying to rule. Yeah. Yes. No question. All right. So next we go to Bron and Jamie, and they're training in uh, Bron's cuck spot. Uh, Jamie seems better, but Bron um, gets Jamie's hand and is able to pimp slap him with it. Bron encourages Jamie to fight dirty. Bron and Jamie then discuss whether uh, Tyrion actually killed Joffrey. Bron does not think so. And then uh, during that conversation, Bronn realizes that Jamie has not gone to see Tyrion yet. So Bronn relates the story of the Eyrie where Tyrion named Jamie as champion because he knew that Jamie would ride night and day to come save him. And so it ends with the, the scene ends with a kind of rhetorical question from Bronn 
uh, are you going to fight for him now? So we, we know where Jamie's headed next. Did you Maybe feel pause like, there so you have anything to say. Yeah, did you feel like Jamie was acting like a little spoiled like brat? Like, or just he had like a, you fought dirty. Like he, he just felt uh, like he wasn't the no. Kingslayer at all. He had just a weird wavery voice. And I don't. I don't because I think that Bron, Bron is the one that operates outside of the uh, the kind of accepted uh, methods of fighting. You know, uh, for like the Civil War, everybody would line up and shoot each other like in lines. Like there was there was there was uh, yeah, protocol. I know the honorable way. That's I, yeah. what you do. You don't want to be yeah. Like, so I think I think clearly and, throughout and the show. <laughs> I mean, but I think throughout the show, Bron has been uh, portrayed as an outlier in terms of knighthood and uh, how to fight and that sort of thing. So I think that Jamie being a part of the establishment as somebody who would be concerned with uh, protocol within fighting. I guess, but he is, he is, he is, he is the biggest example of somebody bucking the system and, and the death of honor by killing his king, which, which Bron even mentions in this scene. Depends on which version you believe. Well, yeah, but like it's still it's still Jamie going with like his personal honor over dogmatic duty, which is I guess the convention, right? And by saying Jamie is conventionally, I don't know. Like the, I, I'm just I think you're making a bigger point. My my smaller point is I feel like Jamie just like ratcheted up his high pitched whine. Like I feel like he was. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that. Okay, good. Yeah, we're now, friends again. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> We are friends again. Uh, so Jamie goes to see Tyrion in prison. They discuss the upcoming trial. A lot of kind of restating Tyrion's status. Yeah. Uh, but the larger point is that Jamie asks if Tyrion did it, but Tyrion denies through no uncertain words. Tyrion asks for help, but Jamie declines. He can't do to his position. And Jamie also brings up how Sansa disappears and asks if Sansa could have done it. Um, and there's a good uh, line uh, that uh, is kind of foreshadowing uh, for the future. Actually, a couple seasons later, oh, yeah. that Sansa is not a killer, not yet. yet. Yeah, sets up later. Sansa badass. Uh, you know this. I this is my problem with this episode. Doug is outside the cruel scenes. That um, this, I mean, this kind of had to happen, but it's also kind of boring. It is fucking boring. Like I guess yeah. you had to have Jamie talk to uh, Tyrion, even though I think in the book. The first time Jamie has uh, an interaction with Tyrion is when he frees him uh, yeah. from the cell, I believe. Once again, Sam Shu or our listeners can write in uh, at ashamedofthrones.com. You can listen, uh, list comments to this episode and let us correct us. Uh, but so I feel like this was a lot of wheel spinning and a lot of restating the obvious, especially when we get to the next scene. Like, like word for word, like <laughs> something that happens in the previous episode or two episodes back is restated almost exactly the way it, it went down. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it did, the, the Jamie had to meet Tyrion in prison, I think. Uh, even though it didn't happen in the, in the, yes, in the book. Yes, I think probably. it did happen to happen for the, the show purposes. I think it did, but right. and uh, any part of that conversation would be some restating of what exactly was going on between people. I mean, I understand it, but it was just boring. Well, if I was going to do it, and once again, let's make it better, let's not just complain about this, I would have uh, explored Jamie's feelings towards his dead son because Jamie has been uh, like r- loudly silent about how much he doesn't speak about Joffrey bringing it, being his kid. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it, it doesn't seem to be a thing with him. He's just like, well, he was my son. No big deal. 
Like what? Like he should have more feelings, stronger feelings about it. Um, or we should know how he's conflicted about it. We just don't get any of that. No, we don't. <laughs> no, but not at all. Wouldn't that been a, I don't know, something you'd want to learn more about? Like Jamie opening up down there? Because what's Tyrion no going to do? Ty- Tyrion's going to be like, yeah, I didn't do it. Dad hates yeah. me. Sister no hates question. me. Yeah, and I mean, Jamie just saying, you know what, even though he was an asshole, he was my kid. But I guess Cersei's kind of done that speech several times uh, already. So I don't know what it would add, but I would like to know what Jamie's. I would like to see Jamie's conflict on Joffrey, uh, which I don't think we ever really get a picture of. No, not at all. Not that yeah. I recall. Mm-hmm. Okay, after this, uh, yeah, the scene ends with uh, Tyrion talking about Sansa, how she's not a killer yet. And then it shows her. Um, on uh the love boat uh going north uh to the Erie uh and Littlefinger shows up. So I'm hoping this is foreshadowing like Sansa's gonna kill Littlefinger. But you know, that's a pipe dream. I don't think the uh showrunner is that clever or giving us um foreshadowing that far in advance. Um anyway, uh he says that he's taking her, Sansa, to see her aunt, Lysa in the Erie. Uh she asks if he killed Joffrey uh, he says, well, how could I? I was off in the veil for weeks. Um, and then he says, well, who could have done it? And she's like, not Sir Dantos. You would have never trusted a drunk. You're too smart for that. Which that's what I mean by like Littlefinger actually said almost that word to word to her in the previous episode of the episode before when he killed Dantos saying, I've never touched a drunk, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, mm-hmm. he walks her through step by step the poison stone that was on her necklace. She figures out that it was the Tyrells, um, and she asks why the the Ty- the Lannisters were friendly for you, to you. And he said, "Yeah, but you know, you keep your foes confused, uh, and they they don't know what you're going to do. They don't know how dangerous you are, something like that." Um, he says he profited from them, their relationship, but uh, you know, he had to move on. Uh, says he will risk everything to get what he wants, and what he wants is. Two girls at the same time. Hell yeah. Uh, or everything, either way. Um, he says he doesn't want friends like himself, uh, which flies in the face of Immanuel Kant's uh, categorical imperative. He rather <laughs> wants reasonable, predictable friends like the Tyrells. Uh, and that's where we cut to uh, going into the next scene. Why, why are the Tyrells aligning themselves with little I wrote the same thing. I wrote... What the fuck do the Tyrells get out of the situation besides this gift? Besides, like, um, Littlefinger saying, okay, this guy's bad news for your daughter, your granddaughter. I'll help you kill him because I have a, a stooge that'll deliver the poison. I'll help well, you. Well, they already knew that. And well, they yeah. could probably, they could have, they, the, the, basically, all that happened is Olena poisoned his wine. None of the other parts of it needed to be involved. So, what are they gaining from having. Littlefinger involved. I don't understand unless it uh, has something it, to do with delivering on, the mail. I think it's pinning it on Sansa. So this allows the Queen of Thorns to murder Joffrey and giving the scapegoat of Sansa Stark, which is what Littlefinger's providing by spiriting her away. But once again, that's like okay. a one-time thing. You would think, hey, there's probably another way to do this where I don't have to owe this piece of shit Littlefinger. And then number two, what is Littlefinger getting out of the Tyrells for this deal? Is it money? Is it power? Is he going to, like, because even in season whatever, six we're at, we're at right now, it doesn't seem like Littlefinger has any dealings with the Tyrells. No, none whatsoever. So what does he and, get out of the fucking deal? 
I, I don't know. It, the whole why, uh, the whole uh, the necklace ruse. I mean, they, they tried to. I guess that was supposed to be a way. Oh, she's got a jewel missing from the necklace that that actually killed him. So it must have been her. But nobody else knows about the fucking jewel and the necklace other than Olena. Yeah, the thing that implicates Sansa more than anything was her running away at, yes. at the time of Joffrey's death. That's the only thing that really implicates her. You're right. Uh, the Queen of Thorns is not going to get pat down by a TSA agent on her way to the goddamn uh, wedding feast. So she could have had the fucking vial of poison right between her titties and pulled it out in a vial and just... And no one would have been any the wiser. I don't understand. It would have been a million times simpler. I don't... It yeah. just... I, I don't... I don't... It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, um, it doesn't It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but, uh, you know, that's... I guess we have to forgive some things or at least move past them, and I don't want to spend any more time but i wrote down the same thing i'm glad you saw it too when when Littlefinger's talking about this close friends the tyrells i was like well why are they close friends what are they getting what's the symbiotic relationship here and i don't i don't get it or the quid pro quo well because i mean the ultimate goal i guess at this point is and probably in olena's mind is to have marjorie marry tommen because tommen's manipulable right. so but where does that With get Littlefinger? Little yeah exactly. what, what is he i mean if they would have said Littlefinger will get to inherit X land, right? Um, then okay. Now we now we have a plan. Now right. we have now we life. know what the re- yeah. what the exchange is. Yes, as is. I mean, other than maybe he gets Sansa. Yeah, but like the, he can just take Sansa. Like the the Tyrells lost Sansa because oh, and I wrote down I I didn't call her by her name. Sansa Lannister uh, is <laughs> already out of the Tyrells' control because the Tyrells wanted her to marry. Uh, somebody else. Well, so they just no, it's to... not con- it's not consummated yet, though. Well, nobody knows that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I I still think you know. I'm gonna call okay. her Sansa Lannister. All right. Until I call Fair her enough. Sansa Bolton. All right. And that one is consummated, disgustingly. So so we'll see that pretty soon. All right. So next we go to the Tyrells <laughs> and uh, Marjorie and Olenna are strolling leisurely through the garden. Olena is apparently sick of living in paradise. They begin discussing Marjorie's status now that she's uh, been running through kings left and right. Olena tells a story about how she was supposed to be married to some jabroni, while her sister was supposed to be married to a king or prince. Uh, so in order to uh, improve her position, she went and banged uh, her sister's fiancé so good, he decided to marry her instead, which uh, really, that's pretty shitty. Uh, so mm-hmm. Elena hatches a plan for, or at least relays the plan for Marjorie to do the same thing, more or less, to Tommen, and uh, says that uh, Marjorie needs to strike early in order to stave off these threats of Cersei. And this is a good time because Cersei is a little bit occupied. Um, Elena then tells Marjorie that she was responsible for uh, Joffrey's unfortunate passing, and. Uh, I like the line uh, uh, to that kind of explains it. That Elena says that you think I would have let you marry that beast, and it kind of tied together the last scene. Littlefinger and Tyrell is working together, but uh, still, no clue why or what or how. <laughs> okay, so first thing, uh, I don't want to hear about my grandma or grandpa's sexual exploits. Number one, number two. I don't want them to then brag about it by saying, oh, I was good. I was really good. Oh, yeah. Like, you're not (laughs) bragging to your friends. It's not like, you know, it's not like I'm going to pull my, you know, I'm not going to be 60 years old going, hey, son, what's up? What's up, Grandpa? Man, I was a a (laughs) finger-banging champion. 
Queen of Thorn on the streets, freaking the sheets. <laughs> but I was really good. I get all up in yeah. them guts. No, this is disgusting. Like, like I know it's it's political intrigue, and she's using her sexuality to gain power. But still, I it's just a little it's a little gross. Um, that's number one. Number two, um, if Marjorie doesn't truly know anything about her grandmother's involvement in this murder. Telling her now will do nothing but incriminate her, uh, so it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I can understand telling her later, or it's more to admit to the audience that she did it, even though, uh, you know, Littlefinger just said it, basically, in so many words, and they cut to her, and they had her, like, say it out loud and also play with her necklace to say, okay, this is the woman who actually fucking killed Joffrey. But when you think about it from Marge's perspective... She's incriminated now. She's knows she knows stuff and the trials hasn't even begun. They're still looking for a fugitive. So I just don't think yeah. it's a smart move. Probably not. Uh, and you know you mentioned the uh kind of hammering home the point quite a bit. I I don't even know if I put all this together like really thought it was that was actually the case until this this most recent watch through. Um well in the book it's a little bit, in the book it's a little bit more ambiguous. Here it seems like they're going out of their way to tell you, like no finite. question. There's no question. Now, now that I'm watching people. this more critically, no question whatsoever. But on the first pat, first watch through or two, where you just kind of have it on in the background sometimes, and you're not paying attention to every single scene in depth, and some of the stuff can get lost. And you're not on you. podcasting about it for no yes, pay. Yes, this this I I will admit that this one got lost on me a little bit, but um, it, if, if you paid attention, it was definitely there. So absolutely. Hmm. Okay, uh, so uh, we go up north to uh, Castle Black. Jon Snow is teaching swords to people, and Ollie is there, the orphan boy that got his parents eaten, or saw his parents get eaten. Um, and he wants to fight, uh, but he says he's a good fighter, and they say, yeah, right. And he says, I'm the best with a bow and arrow, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Bow and arrow, we'll let you know when we go hunting rabbits, you pussy. Anyway, John then makes the new recruit fight. His name is Locke, and he's really good at fighting. Uh, he kicks this dude's ass. Then Alistair Thorne breaks up the party, tells John it's not his job to train the guys. He's a steward. He should go find uh, some poo-poo to clean up or something. Uh, and then there's a heated stare-down between the two. Um, he calls, Alistair Thorne calls him a traitor's bastard. Uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen him kill Alistair Thorne right there and then. It would have been great. Anyway, uh, John moves on. Uh, Janice Slit uh, whispers in Thorne's ear that maybe he should let John go off to Craster's like he wanted to or what he proposed last week um, because more than likely he'll end up dead by the mutineers and then he won't be a threat um, because Alistair Thorne is just the acting uh, Night's Watch commander. There'll be a vote and, you know, Jon Snow has some royal blood or some uh, whatever fancy pants stuff. Uh, he might He's just perceived as a threat for some reason. Uh, anyway... John and the new recruit Locke bond over how much they hate uh, uh, the rich folks, uh, the lords. And, you know, Locke tells this BS story about how he had to, he was sent to the wall for killing uh, some kind of protected animal uh, to feed his family. Uh, we all know it's bullshit. We know this guy uh, is up to no good. Um, but, you know, Locke is just all show invention. So this is where it kind of starts, I guess, the... Um, the annoyances i don't know uh i don't know how i feel about Locke. i kind of like him as like a badass character but um it doesn't make a whole lot of sense 
Like, I guess Locke is just waiting to get Jon Snow alone to murder him because that's his whole... His whole point is to not only murder Jon, but also Bran. I think Bran is the primary target as well, right? I think Jon's the primary target. Uh, what? Well, you know what? You're, you might be right. Yeah, because Bran has, Tyrion... Yeah. T- I mean, like, t- uh, not Tyrion. Theon tells Bruce and Ramsay that he didn't kill Bran and Rickon. Yes. And yeah. I think that was it. They already, they already knew Jon Snow where he was, so they could have killed him whenever they wanted. And Jon Snow doesn't, uh, he doesn't have any uh, claim to right. the, the North Not at this only, point. He's a bastard, and he's, that's number taking one. Taking the number, black. He's taking yeah. the black, so he can't inherit or own lands, you know, until he dies, and it's not like he's going to come back from the dead. But you say that, though, and I don't remember Locke ever asking about Bran or at all. He doesn't. Yeah, so then that kind of cuts back on that. I don't know. I'm not sure. And, you know, I don't think that I, I really put together, uh, just as in the last episode, I don't think I ever put together until this more critical watch through that Locke took the black just simply to assassinate John, uh, or at least try theoretically try to find Brain and Rickon. Right. Um, yeah, but man, Alistair Thorne, his character is so goddamn infuriating. Yep. Uh, it's, I, I mean, I there's just no justification or rationale behind the way he acts towards people, and you would think that somebody like uh, who's the main guy there, old Blindy. Oh, uh, Maester Eamon. Yeah, you would think that he would know better than to have this piece of shit overlooking uh, the Night's Watch. I don't understand it whatsoever. I, I don't either. We never really get clarification. Like, you know, he's kind of like acting like uh, uh, Severus Snape for all you Harry Potter nerds. Uh, basically, a guy who hates uh, Harry, but it cur- turns out that there's a reason for that because he was in love with Harry's mom. So he, like, hates Harry and also wants to protect him because he reminds her him of the woman he loved, but also infuriates him because he reminds him that he didn't consummate that love. He's, it's unrequited. But we don't get any yeah. of that with uh, Alistair Thorne. We have and we, no it's idea. not even like we know that he's like, beyond the personal motivation, we never even hear like, oh, he is a great field general and he actually gets results. Yeah, and so, so we have no we have no demonstration of his value. It's a pa- no, pickup artist situation here. You got to demonstrate Other than value. to be a contrast to John. And that's all it is. And it, that's, that's frustrating and annoying. Um, I did like uh, Sl- Jorah Slint or Jonah Slint, his Weasley proposal. I ca- I kind of like him because he's so craven. Yeah, he is. Uh, it's so. I mean, it's funny to watch. Uh, he's he's just so. Well, plus he comes of off shit. he comes off more pragmatic than uh, Alistair Thorne, who looks like he's acting out of emotion. Where Jonah yeah. Slint's like, "Hey, you can get rid of this guy if you do this." Yes, um, and it's just such a weenie. You never you know he's not going to win. Uh, those kinds of things get frustrating when the the bad guy wins. You know he's just gonna yeah, he's gonna get because they him. set him up as a as a yeah, yeah sniveling coward. So that guy's never yes. gonna win. Okay. Right. So uh, any other uh, thoughts on those? No. That scene? Fuck it. All right. All right, buddy. So we go to Cersei and surprise, surprise, she's drinking. Uh, Jamie is knocking, but she doesn't invite him in until he walks in. Apparently, Cersei sent for for Jamie. And we need to add some context to this scene. As far as we know, this is the first time that we've seen them since Jamie raped his sister <laughs> next to the corpse of their incest baby. Yep. The former king. 
So uh, Cersei wants to know all about Tommen's guards because she's on high alert now that she's lost Joffrey. Cersei, Cersei begins giving him shit. There's not enough guards. Why did Cat set him free? Question, kind of questioning his loyalty. Jamie explains that uh, he gave a promise to Cat to return the girls, um, and he did this in large part to return to Cersei. She's not really having it. Cersei questions his loyalty, questions whether he would track down Sansa if she asks, and he more or less says no, and also uh, asks why he went to see Tyrion. Jamie tells uh, Cersei that Tyrion didn't kill Joffrey, but she still clings to this false belief that he did, uh, basically just relying on a single statement that ashes will turn to, or whatever will turn to ashes in her mouth. And that's kind of the end of the scene. So we probably have discussed this in prior episodes, but this scene highlighted it to me. Is there any reason that she is so hateful towards Tyrion? Uh, I think she's just a bitch. Uh, Now, in addition to that, she does blame him for killing her mother because, uh, God, Joanna, I think that's her name. Uh, Tywin's wife died in childbirth giving birth to uh, Tyrion. But I think, like, uh, Jamie doesn't have that grudge. And I know they're two different people, but at the same time, yeah, like, it's Jamie's mom, too. So, like, uh, I don't don't really get it. Um, I think she's just a terrible person. I I don't think we get a satisfactory explanation. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, The other thing is, you know, there's... um, these Lannisters, certainly Jamie or not Jamie, uh, Cersei, and Tyrion to a certain extent, they are drinking all the time, but they never seem drunk on screen. And no. I, I, it's kind of disappointing because it would be funny. If she was like really slurring her words, and being like, "Fuck, where are you?" Yeah, you know? yeah, like because they're drinking all the time, you don't get, and there's no discernible change in their personality. You don't, yes. you don't get the effects. <laughs> like that's the problem. You're right. I, I, there's no, yeah. There's no, there's no contrast i would like to see uh cersei in the morning and cersei at night because cersei at night <laughs> cersei in the evening cersei in the yeah morning, cersei, cersei after dark jesus <laughs> that, that's, that's that's a cinemax spinoff um yeah. uh, another thing is i we never after all this we never get uh, how jamie feels about these vows to catelyn stark so he says that he made these vows at sword point um, and he did it just to get back to Cersei, but we get the impression that he's kind of taking them seriously, but we don't know that for certain. Uh, and I believe well, I that's more made scene. clear. I think a later scene yeah. that we do, it's made clear that he is serious. And also, this is the, I don't want to start a Doug rant, but yeah, the, uh, exactly. the book the book is clear that he, he is serious about it. Right. And the show kind of uh, waffles between the two points. And there's a, I mean, a good scene later where we see, yeah, he's he's honorable again. Um, the episode after he raped his sister, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and not only yes. that, if he was gonna take this vow seriously, he already fucked up by not freeing Sansa Sark because in the show, unlike the book, in the book he arrives too late and Sansa's already gone, so he can't fulfill the vows. Here he has an opportunity to fulfill the vows of saving Catelyn Stark's daughter and returning her home. And he doesn't do it. Yes, and he, that's you a could fucking say, problem. And you could say that the later scene with Brienne, where he gives her a fucking Valyrian steel sword and ha- does all these things for her, 
that he's down the path of uh, he's better Jamie. But hey, guess what just happened last episode? Yeah, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's so uh, stupid. They're just the, the, this. Uh, I I did not. Uh, I don't think I was completely on board with the Doug rants, but now I am completely on board oh, with the Doug rants. Wow! Holy shit! This is a red yeah. banner day. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you see it my way because it seems like ridiculous, right? It seems like you ruined yes. an entire character, a main character. Or just fumbled it, like just fucked it up so bad that I don't know how to feel about Jamie right now. Uh, yeah, in, I don't. I don't think more, the writers do. I don't think the writers have any clue where he is at this point. It's stupid. It's stupid. In the book, he's very clearly wrestling with the idea. He's having like a spiritual awakening of, you know, maybe I could be the good guy. Um, yes. You know what I mean? He, and he feels compelled to do it almost out of spite. Um, and and it's endearing like it makes him a better person and uh oh yeah um it, i don't know if you were listening last episode but i did read the uh, passage from the book about the scene and uh and it's still a little messed up because he is aggressive with her but she relents and there's lots of consent given uh during the scene so like the fact that they left it out is just fucking ridiculous um, oh wait a second! There's a uh, love making scene in this series where the show producers remove consent. <laughs> yeah, and what? After after yeah after saying that, I, I thought back to the the first season with Danny and Drogo where Ugh, she says she says it's like no no no. Uh, that's the only word that uh, Drogo knows of the English language or Valerian or whatever it is, and um, you know she says. She eventually says the word yes explicitly, like she was yeah. scared, and then she gives consent. And I don't know. This sounds. I guess it sounds like we're nitpicky to like terrible people. Like if you're an awful person right now, <laughs> and you're listening to this, going, "What's the big yeah. deal?" Uh, I don't know. It's just it, yeah. If if you're sitting at home and you're Brock Turner <laughs> and you're out on house release after after <laughs> attempted rape in an alley. After some Finnish guys stumble upon you, we're sorry, dude, but yeah. this is wrong. Yeah, this and is your, wrong. Your awful dad who wrote a letter saying uh, <laughs> he's he's gonna forego the opportunity to go to the Olympics for a few minutes of action, as his dad called it. I mean, we're sorry, but uh, you might want to cut this, Doug. No, no, I like it. I like it a lot. Anyway, let's move on. But um, yeah. but the point is taken. This is this is it, it's fucked. It's it's. It's it's fucking unexcusable. Like we forgive a lot of stuff, but this is I don't know. It's, yes, it's despicable and it doesn't serve a purpose. That's the one thing. If it served a fucking purpose, like a clear cut purpose, like we wanted, we wanted you to feel awful as like a I don't know a metaphor for uh you know something else. I don't know. I I don't know what to excuse it, but um this is a poor excuse. So let's yeah, and even the bigger. I mean, the bigger problem is the narrative of Jamie. It's just they they, they don't have a clear vision of what he's supposed to be, and it's so bad. It's so yeah, awful. even now. He goes even in season six. The, he goes from the worst to the best. Worst to the best. Right. It doesn't make any sense because the book is clear. He's on the up after he gets his hand chopped off, and there's no ambiguity. Um, and now it seems like they're trying. I mean, I think the the showrunners are positioning him in the latest season of when he sees Cersei, Darth Cersei take the, the throne. Maybe that's where he officially takes the 
or makes his transition, but God, so stupid. And that's, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's finally going to make the transition. And yeah. even in the book, the one time he has like a backsliding moment is when he threatens to like, um, he threatens to kill Edmure Tully's like unborn child um, if he doesn't surrender um, River Run to him. But he yeah. does that to fulfill the vow to Catelyn Stark uh, by never raising arms against. Um, anybody in her household so he goes there to take river run he's like i want to uphold these this vow uh i yeah. can't kill anybody um so i'm just gonna have to threaten edmure tully and he gets it done uh yeah. so even then he's being a good person uh by acting like a piece of shit um you know what i mean that sounds yes. confusing but yeah the no, dog rants uh i'm glad you're yeah. on board now so that's yeah good. so let's let's get let's get let's keep moving duck yeah, we got it we got to get this we done. could do this for days yes. yeah okay so tommen's trying to sleep when he hears someone enter his room he thinks it's it's kitty uh sir pounce but it turns out yes. to be a lady uh large marge who is fresh off her gross grandmother's sex advice <laughs> to <laughs> manipulate uh people uh, sneaks into Tommen's room to try to essentially seduce him. Um, she sets up immediately keeping things from his mommy. Um, and Tommen uh, talks about how he thinks he's different from Joffrey. They're not the same. He's not cruel. Um, she brings up the consummation of their marriage, which, you know, after the wedding, what'll happen? He'll, I'll be yours, this weird possessive thing. Um, she kisses him on the forehead, says, I got to go. Uh, and she leaves. This is really gross, right? No, I don't think it is. Uh, oh, okay. First, I would like to say Sir Pounce. I called it two episodes ago. <laughs> um, but I did – I mean this this is appropriate that they aged him up from an 8-year-old to 13-year-old. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. We discussed a little bit before. Right, yeah, yeah because yeah. in the book it's more maternal as opposed to this being sexual. And you're right. I guess he's like 15 or 16, but I, – I think he's probably 12, 13, 14. Oh. Um, and okay. so – which, I mean, back then they – God, back then. I think in this universe, they would get married at that age. But um, I think it's more that she showed up there, and I think this kind of shows her cunning, in that she shows up to probe to see what is his weak spot. You I'm know, surprised with, she didn't show her cunning right right in his face. Jesus, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, no, it's she didn't go through with Olena's plan because he's too innocent. I so agree, was, but she still yes. took like the bare bones of it. She's still seducing this kid, even if she's not giving it up. Yes, but I don't know that he is an age where it's upsetting in that universe. I, no, I, I'm not saying it's... I, I agree with you. Okay, so like yeah. I agree with you. I'd forgive it, but it's just kind of... It, you know, it's just kind of... It's a little weird. Uh, yeah, that's Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, not, not so, much to say here. Let's just let's keep it going. Yes, no, but well, I do think it, that displays Marjorie's um, intelligence. Yes, she's smart. Yeah, okay, fine, I agree fine. with you. All right, so next we see uh, Brienne reading that Knight's Almanac um, that Joffrey read earlier to taunt Jamie. Uh, Jamie still doesn't have much, but Jamie believes there's plenty of time left. Jamie then weirdly gives his Valyrian steel sword to Brienne in a kind of a symbolic gesture. It's a Ned Stark sword, so Ned Stark sword should be used to save his daughters. She, Jamie also has a set of armor made for her. Somehow he knows her measurements. Uh, Brienne promises to find Sansa for Cat and also for Jamie. Jamie has uh, one more gift, and it's apparently Pod. 
It's uh, also part of a plan to protect Pod because, as we know from prior episodes, Pod's in danger because he's not willing to testify against Tyrion, one of the more noble characters in the show. Pod does his kind of his uh, usual rube routine. Uh, Bronn then gives Pod Tyrion's axe from the Battle of the Blackwater. Jamie asks Brienne what uh, she will name her sword, and she settles on the name Oathkeeper. They kind of say their farewells, and uh, gosh, it's crazy that Jamie's giving away that sword to Brienne, isn't it? Yeah, and like I said, uh, when we we saw the scene earlier where Tywin kind of like disowned him casually. Yeah, like, I feel like if it would have been a bigger fallout and more yelling or at least a more heated exchange, this would have been more of a fuck you, daddy. I'm going to give away your sword that you <laughs> worked for thousands, whatever, hundreds of years to try to get a Valerian steel sword in the family or you and the, everybody before you. Um, it would have been a bigger moment. I don't know. Uh, and it's also showing, I mean, it's him making, this is him making a conscious effort to be a better person. Once again, when when they bring about yeah. the book, all the shitty we- things he's done in the book. We, that, we hammered that. We just hammered this. I right. Mean, I, I know. I know. Yeah, but this, yeah. these are, this is where I got the notes. So this is when he's deciding to be a good person. But at the same yeah. time, you're right. It doesn't come off like why give her this the sword. Like uh, seems a bit much. And once again, if there was a little bit of heat between his daddy, um, a renewed heat, I don't know. I would have bought it a little better. Um, yeah. There's like single digits of these swords in the kingdom. I, I, I mean, it it could have been played. That showed how much more important it was, and it wasn't played particularly well, I don't think. I don't think so either. Yeah. Also, Podrick and Brienne are so different on the show than they are in the novels that um, I don't I don't know what to think here. They're both bumbling idiots, basically. Like, Brienne is just naive. She's a very good person, but she's exceedingly naive, and she just wanders around looking for Sansa, basically rudderless. And Pod chases her because he, has, he, he learns... That she's looking for Sansa and Pod has no idea what happened to Tyrion because in the book, Pod leaves after Tyrion's trial and he disappears. So he's trying to get back to Tyrion like a a child Mm -hmm. because he's like 12 or whatever. And he thinks, hey, if I follow this lady who's looking for Sansa, if she finds Sansa, more likely Sansa and Tyrion are together because they're married. Yes. Um, Yeah. But here, I just don't know what to think. I mean, they're both very different characters. I mean, it's not like I don't like Pod or don't like Brienne. Uh, I just don't know what I, how I feel about this pairing of the two. I do think it's okay later as it goes. I mean, I I, I think it's pretty comical, the seriousness of Brienne and the uh, kind of uh, backcountry rube of Pod. I mean, Pod, is I, he's intelligent, and he clearly F so good. But uh, he's... No doubt. He also like doesn't know practical things. I think we see it later uh, illustrated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I do. I'm you know I, I I think it's a good pairing later, and I I'm also glad to see both those characters on the screen because they're they're good. I think they're good characters in the show. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I I kind of like them on the show, but they're just I just don't yeah. know how to feel about them. And I guess it's been so long since I've. Uh, you know, seeing them in the in the later seasons, I think we just watched. They're not really given a lot of screen time together. So, uh, no. And the whole uh, story of Brienne is a lot crazier in the book. Uh, she kills a shit ton of people, and there's all like weird. Um, oh yeah, Chiswick, yeah like, she goes in the squishers. It's all fucked up. Face face ups with her uh, fights with people and weird broken down castles and yep. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that that so. fight was great. 
Um, okay, so uh, Sam is. We're going back up north to the wall. <sighs> what? This next scene. Okay, so Sam is rethinking his uh, brilliant decision to have Gilly stay in Molestown in light of the fact that John tells him that they're wildling south of the wall. But didn't he already know that when he made this decision last week? I don't know. We'll talk about that in yep. a second. Let's move on. So John laments not being able to go after Bran after Sam relates to him that he saw Bran going north. They met a couple episodes back. Um, John says that uh, uh, Sam's convinced that uh, he'll be fine. He'll find shelter and stuff along the way. And John says, no, all the wildlings are gone. There'll, there'll be deserted villages. He'll find no uh, nobody there because all the wildlings are with uh, Mace, except for one, Craster's Keep. And since the north is such a tiny fucking place, I guess Bran has to go there, um, which it's setting up, you know, an obvious dumb fucking show invention fuckery tard thing. Anyway, Locke arrives to tell John that Thorne wants a word with him. Alistair uh, says he can go to Craster's. Um, it's okay, but he can't take anybody who doesn't volunteer. Volunteers only. So John is tasked with addressing the mess hall. He gives a rousing speech about how they owe it to Gior Mormont to avenge him and bring him justice. Uh, at first, only his close friends agree. Uh, then reluctantly, a lot, a uh, few others, mostly randos. And then finally, uh, the new recruit, Locke, um, who is just a recruit, so he has to be sworn in as an official Knight's Brother before he can go. Well, that's stupid because if uh, Thorne actually just wanted to get John killed, he would assign like a group of five people. Just go. I agree. Say so you yeah. can only take these two people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. What happened if like every single person uh, agreed to it other than Mormont? Uh, yeah. And he doesn't like Sam either. So, why don't, hey, John, you can go, but you can only take yeah, Sam. John and and <laughs> uh, Gilly's baby. And yeah. that's it. <laughs> And you can't have any clothes. You can't. You you can't. Uh, you can only wear like undergarments. You can't wear a cloak or something. Just like just stack the cards against them. You're right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and just uh, Sam, this thing about Gilly. Oh, God, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, you just hate their relationship altogether. Yes. I yeah. I do. I don't. I, I, be, well, we've discussed how it's completely superfluous. But it's also just, a, I mean, so annoying, but whatever. Uh, thumbs down. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you see, like... Not uh, much to add. Just not much down. to add. I just hate it. Like, the fact that he's setting up brand going to Craster's. What? Like... Doesn't need to, or you, why that? Do you realize that, uh, like... All right, so Castle Black, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but Castle Black and the other castle that Bran went through are separated by a lot of miles. Yeah. Now, if they go both to go north, maybe they're following a road and those two roads meet in a crossroads and Craster's is right there. But the fact that, like, they're telegraphing, the fact that, uh, well, Bran will, you know, he'll be searching for, um, you know, food and shelter. So he'll have to go by Craster's is just absolutely fucking ridiculous. And it's all show invention bullshit and it's making me angry. And we don't even get there until next episode. So. Does does Bran ever go to uh, Craster's Creep in the books? Absolutely not. Yeah, so that's fucking terrible. All right, so it's just, uh, it's we, just it, it, and real yeah. quick, this is this whole Craster Keep things is just wheel spinning to get John to do something before the Wildlings attack because the yeah. Wildling attack was imminent at the end of last season, and now they're just going to stretch this attack out for an entire season of nothing happening. 
Yes. Okay, go on. So we return to Craster's Creep, and uh, somehow things have actually gotten worse for the Craster's wives. I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> Jesus, but, yeah. Yeah. So apparently, yeah, that's, this a good, that's a very good point. I didn't think of it yeah, like that. It's it's awful. Uh, this creep, Carl, is drinking wine from Jorah Mormont's skull. Uh, I'm not going to get into the issues of decomposition, but uh, this does not seem uh, plausible. <laughs> so uh, King Carl issues a directive to his men. F the women till they're dead. Uh, just fucking awful. Carl tells Rass to go feed the beast, which refers to uh, one of the direwolves. I can't remember which one it is. That's uh, ghost. Some- ghost. Okay, ghost. Rass says that they should kill the direwolf, which upsets Carl for some reason. So Carl goes into a uh, kind of Shakespearean soliloquy about how he's tougher than everyone else, while at the same time provoking Rast, trying to get him to step up. He's really kind of the Al Bundy of gutter assassins, is the way yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, it's reliving his glory days. Yeah, but ah, Ginelli, fucking legend. Uh, so Craster wife arrives with a male baby, and I don't know where that male baby came from, other than uh, the show writers wanted to have that to create a scene because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the last baby that we know of was Gilly's baby. And uh, I don't know that, I mean, I guess there could be another baby there, but there certainly was not any other indication that there was. Nope. So then the uh, Craster's wives begin creepily chanting (laughs) gifts of the gods, given the gods, which we haven't seen before, which is fucking upsetting and terrible. Uh, Carl, Carl ponders what to do and uh, initially wants to kill the last-born Craster male. But Craster wife says Craster gave the baby to the White Walkers, which prompts more creepy chanting. Craster uh, – or not Craster. Um, uh, Carl. Carl, King Carl thinks that the sacrifice in the baby is a crackerjack idea and sends Rass uh, to provide a gift to the gods. So is it is it's Carl Tanner of Gin Alley, right? Correct. So does that does that have anything to do with uh, home improvement? Because it wasn't it DJ Tanner or was that um, DJ Tanner was uh, no that was, was the, that the uh, pains? Full house. No, Full House. Oh, Full House. Okay, so yeah, uh, this guy from Full House. Uh, I've got a lot of things to say about the scene. Uh, so I remember <laughs> a lot, almost even more fallout for this episode than the previous one where Jamie raped his sister. Because the 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 biggest uh, problem was rape is window dressing, um, which is it's fucking awful. But also, like none of Craster's wives have any like. I mean, I guess they're terrified and they're being uh you know tortured. But none of them have any real dialogue or are human beings in this scene. They're just kind of like meat. Uh, that's the way that we're getting treated. I understand that, but it's just it's kind of portrayed awfully. Um, I did kind of enjoy uh, Carl giving Rast shit because Rast is a terrible person. So it's it's great to see somebody treat him like shit anyway. But I think, uh, and I I I do the best thing about this. I will say is that the Carl guy does come off as an abusive. Uh, his abusive intimidation of Rast, it reminds me of being in a room with a violent alcoholic uh, who's on a bender. I mean, you've been on, you've been around these people like before where they, everybody's having a good time, having some drinks, and this person just starts trying to intimidate people and, and you know, you're like, holy sure. shit, this Keep, guy like, can snap at any moment. I'm just getting real, upset, getting real upset about me, Ian Napolis. <laughs> yeah, some, correct. 
Just somebody just uh, who could just snap at any moment. So I guess yeah. I appreciated that. The gift from the God thing was just over the top and crazy. Um, that's just chanting it. Like the whole point of Gilly running away is the wives got together and said, "Hey, get this baby out of here." It it yes. It, it doesn't make sense for them to be. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead and kill my baby boy. No, and they're perfectly willing to abandon all of Craster's uh, uh, traditions. I don't know what the better word for that is. Yeah. Uh, uh, later, when when John comes and saves them all, so uh, yeah, that was weird. I don't know what the hell that was, other than it created an ominous uh, tone to it. So this is the scene, Doug, that I referred to earlier, where they really toned down the debauchery. Supposedly. How? What happened? There was supposed to be actual more rapes. It was supposed to be like a pan scene of more rapes. And also one of the guys that was there as one of uh, Carl King Carl's clan. I don't know how to describe them. Of like just going in and while Craster's family or Craster's former wives were cooking food, he ran in and barfed on their food. Jesus. Um, yeah. It's, so they but why uh, like wh- like I don't know these, like this you can set these people insane. up as awful human beings without having to show us that yes like you could have had I, like the you could have just had like one guy like grab a woman and like uh, take her into the back room and have her being terrified terrified saying no no not again and you would have gotten all the information you needed to fucking know instead of a scene where they say fuck them until they're dead. <laughs> This was toned down. This is fucking disgusting. I, 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 this is, this is one of the cruelest scenes in the series. And I, there's no, this is a complete show of mention. Imagine that. Uh, And it's also does this stupid. It doesn't really add anything. You could just be like those guys. I I mean, they could have made it like, uh, so D and D has to be stopped, right? Somebody has to stop them. They could have made it a hard PG 13 and gotten their, their point across. And you know what's interesting is uh, I read online that they all the crafters wives in the scene that were half naked were all porn actresses. They hired. Yeah. Well, that's, just been, and just again, just like Shay, like you know, this is that. Why? Like yes. Well, and so here, here, here's the point: is that the the, uh, the guy who wrote the episode wanted to display how. Kings, the uh, Night's Watch was made of of kind of the dregs of society, you know, people who washed out for whatever reason, caught stealing, whatever. And so then these guys were the dregs of the dregs. But who gives a fuck? Right. Who cares? Right. I mean, I I don't need to see. What is this? uh, What is this? What does this do to uh, the conflict between the Night Watchers, Night Walk or the White Walkers and man? What does this do? for any of our characters besides this loosely based bullshit where John has to go deal with them so they don't give no, up how many they, men are they, at the Night's Watch or the fact that Bran just happens to stumble upon their fucking small cabin in the uh, great white wilderness. It's but just Dave, so it doesn't, fucking it doesn't, stupid. It doesn't, you don't even need this for John to go out and kill them. This, you don't need that because... Yeah, we, they're, they're already traitors for killing Gior. That's it. Yes. They deserve yeah. death. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's inexcusable. This is yeah. This, this is a bottom five scene in the series. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I would think. Well, uh, Sansa still is. And pretty it could have been so much worse. It could have been. So yeah, much and worse. that's that's fucked up that they filmed so much more. Yeah. No, I don't know if they filmed it. They they or they wanted. They to. did film. 
they did feel more, but they considered significantly more. So, well, I would have liked to have seen somebody throw up on somebody's food and then forcing them to eat it. That would have been good. You got to make good quality uh, television. You could have yeah, won the get- you could have won the Emmy for best barf scene in, in a drama. I don't yes. know. Fuck this. Okay, so let's move right. on. It's making me go sick. Okay, uh, so. Rast takes the baby outside into the woods, uh, a ways away from the house, sets him down on the ground, and then walks away as the baby cries. On the way back, uh, he stops at the pinned-up ghost who's in a cage, uh, and he pisses at him, not on him, uh, as a sign of disrespect, I guess. The wolf lunges and scares him. He falls down, goes boom. Hilarious. Yeah, wolves Uh, hate that. What? Wolves hate that. Yeah. When you (laughs) pee at them. Pee in the general... I pee in your general direction. Anyway... Uh, he sits up and he notices that crows are starting to call and his pee-pee puddle starts to freeze. So he freaks out, runs off, thinks that the White Walkers are coming. Oh, and that's something I didn't mention in the previous scene. None of these survivors from the Battle of the Fist of the First Men who saw like more than half of the, their friends get killed seem remotely concerned about the Army of the Dead and the White Walkers. Oh shit! Yeah, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. DJ Tanner, um, or King Carl, whatever his name is, he's just like as an afterthought. Well, maybe it'll work for me. Maybe putting this baby out here will keep the White Walkers away. I'd be really concerned with the White Walkers, even if I was like a, a piece of shit and wanted like uh, Craster's food and willing to kill for it and all this shit. I would still think you can be a little bit afraid of reanimated corpses. I would think. <laughs> Yeah, they don't I, seem even if I was at all. fucking Essos, I would be scared as shit if I saw those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm a thousand miles away from that shit, and I'm still looking over my shoulder going, wait a minute, the fuck yeah. is that in that corner? Um, they, yeah, they're not concerned about that at all. Um, anyway, uh, another thing is, why the fuck uh, is Ghost trapped? They, they, so they got Ghost somehow. Like, presumably how they catch uh, Summer brands wolf but yes. why did did craster set up these traps did dj tanner set up these traps if so what for what's the plan here no and i have the same question you know uh i don't know why john didn't go back to get him uh and then also later when brand wargs into the uh summer I, i'm sorry i'm mixing up yeah i that's can't the remember next which scene. one is which uh let's just run yeah go go on and describe the next scene so grass well, fell no, down. I, I don't understand like why brand could work into the one that was in the uh in the cage and presumably brand through the working would be smart enough to have that that wolf chew through whatever is encumbering it from leaving the cage you know what i mean yeah i think he's just reaching out to uh his own wolf he's not reaching out to snow um ghost yeah, I'm, I'm getting Ghost and Summer confused. And I'm, I can't remember which one is which. So so Summer is the wolf that's not trapped quite yet, okay. who gets trapped in the next scene. So go ahead and describe the next scene. Okay, all right. So little rascals are camping out, and they hear the cry of a hungry child, uh, also the uh, name of a Mr. Show episode. Uh, Bran wargs into his wolf to go scout it out, who then finds Ghost in the cage. Uh I wrote down why hasn't John cared more about his wolf. <laughs> um, yeah, he doesn't so, seem to be concerned at all. No, no. So the next morning, the little rascals are performing some reconnaissance. Mira wants to leave, but uh, but uh, Brand says not without ghost. So uh, the uh, King Carl's creeps then uh, end up finding the little rascals. They take them into some uh, torture hut. 
King Carl harasses uh, harasses yeah kind of everybody ends up um, oh no there's uh, actually all of the other guys who are there end up harassing Hodor and stab oh, yeah. him yep the rest of the the rascals are taken to b- before King Carl King Carl realizes Bran is highborn and tortures everyone and just being a creep in general Jojen goes into a seizure which I don't know if we have an explanation between Jojen's constant sweating and seizures, but uh, Carl holds a knife to Mira, at which point Bran tells Carl who he is, leaving their fates up in the air. Yeah, I think Carl calls the sip the the mirror. Uh, what are they called? The uh, twin or not the twins? The brother and sister. He calls them mm-hmm. fancy looking, and I don't think they're fancy looking. They're just wearing a bunch of like dead animal uh, skins on them. Uh, I thought that was weird. Um, no, and I think in the book the uh, the Kranog men are the opposite of fancy looking. Yeah, they're like the yeah. they're like the real bumpkins. Yes, mm-hmm. the the dregs of the dregs of the north, I guess. Um, but what is their plan with Bran? Like, like it seems exciting that they have Bran, and then Ras says that's Jon Snow's brother. So I'm wondering, like, what is their plan? Uh, because guess what? If they take Bran south to the, like the Night's Watch saying, you let us through or else we're going to kill Bran. I don't think the Night's Watch would fucking do any. I think they'd be like, no, kill him. He's not my brother. Uh, I don't, I don't see what having, like, it's not like he's a valuable, okay, so he could be a valuable hostage for like the Boltons, but for fucking King Carl, I don't understand. I, I, I guess it's just ransom. I don't know what else there is beyond that. I, I, but it's only thing makes sense. To who? Jon Snow you, has no right, fucking money. Right, Doug. You're right about There's that. There's no Starks left. <laughs> but what else could it be? I don't know? know. It's show invention bullshit, and it's not thought out. Yeah. So I hate it. I just fucking hate it. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. Okay, moving on. So we finished <laughs> this shit up. Uh, the White Walker uh, had picked up the baby. We didn't see it on screen, but picked up the baby. He's riding a dead horse north through all these, you know, wintry lands. Finally gets to some kind of strange hollowed out mountain structure thing uh, where he rides in and he places a baby on a, like, ice altar. And out of focus, there are 13, I counted them, black figures. uh, And I guess they're, like, the ruling class of the white watchers. Who knows? One of them comes forward. He looks extra freaky. Looks like he's wearing a crown made out of, like, flesh and weird bone augmentation um i don't know looks like a weirdo and he touches the baby on the cheek baby's eyes turn blue presumably turning the baby into a white walker all right here we go this is this was a really good scene uh well, it was at least intriguing. for me it was definitely intriguing and yes. as a book reader you didn't see any of this shit so this was no. like this was like oh what the i was fuck? gonna touch on that so this this is the shit that really got me excited about the show. It would make me go, oh, I can't wait to see what happens with these fucking White Walkers. Because as much as like the battle between the people, it, I mean, it, it's intriguing. It, it really is interesting. But I mean, we've kind of seen it all before in some other form or another. I mean, a lot of Shakespeare bullshit. But this is the stuff that makes me go, what the fuck is going on with this show? So I know this was not in the books. And uh, my understanding is that the people who read the books got re- flipped their lids because this is one of the first White Walker confirmations. Also, right. gave this insight was a into how spoiler. White Walkers. 
like yeah. quote unquote, because none of this has happened in the five books that are out. Right. So what did you think about it when you saw it as a book reader? As a book reader, it confirmed, um, like I, I immediately thought Night's King cause like, I, you know, I, yeah. I didn't come to any of these conclusions. I, I've read articles and listened to other podcasts where they talk about stuff like that and how the white walkers probably have some kind of leader and they, you know, the most likely person was this Night's Watch guy who, legend has it, uh, fell in love with a um, female White Walker and you know led a rebellion and like basically he was I don't know uh, he was the ninth uh, Lord Commander I don't know but he was a former Lord Commander uh, and he rebelled against the uh, Seven Kingdoms basically a king in the north or a king north of the wall like Mance's. Uh, well, how does, how does that jive with though the later episodes where uh, you're we right? See I don't the, know. So where you see yeah. him being made by the children of the forest? I have no idea. Uh, so this is all who knows. I have no idea. Um, mm-hmm. But it was intriguing. You're absolutely right. I was like, what the fuck? Okay, it it just confirmed a lot. Uh, I guess they can make White Walkers. And, and another another theory was the White Walkers. Stole children because they can't reproduce, uh, and this is the way they are able to carry on. Uh, well, the, the, you know what? That's where I was going next. How, how responsible for the White Walker plague is Craster and his sons? Yeah, but he, you know, he was just fine to be like, "Hey, they stay away from me." I know, but so how many White Walker, White Walk, like the actual like dudes? We see plenty of whites. I mean, whites are just trash people. But how many, well, how many got, okay. white walkers have we seen? Uh, I don't know. But uh, but the thing is, is after watching this again, there's definitely there was definitely 13 special white walkers, or because yeah. we saw these guys and they were all dressed in black. At least they were out of focus. And then we've seen the white walkers that just look like uh, you know grandpa Nordic looking guys with without a shirt on, um, and they're different. Sure. Um, and we've seen a sure, lot. Sure. So, if you had the thirteen there, and they take one of Craster's babies and they turn them into whatever, I mean, I, I would assume that'd be a super White Walker if the thirteen are there. I guess, but you got to ask many, yourself: How you many got, of the thirteen are there are Craster's babies? But you got to understand, Craster. Do you think Craster came to this decision on his own, or like by trial and error, or do you think he I was taught? I don't have any. Like, cool. I want to. I, I wanted to open up the possibility <laughs> that Craster is responsible for. The uh, the White Walker plague, <laughs> which is entirely possible. I, it is possible, but I don't want to give him that much credit. I, I want to think it's a learned behavior that he inherited from uh, wherever he came from, or it was like a uh, myth, or like you know, like an old thing where like, hey, if you put the children out, do you think like he's just like, hey, I don't have the guts to, you know, I don't, I don't want a son to rival my supremacy over. His mother and sisters and aunts. Where would he come from? Because, I mean, his dad presumably would have killed him. True. Maybe, well, maybe his dad died before he could kill him. And his mother told yeah. him all about it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, we're going way far afield. Oh, no, this is so far. Yeah. Long story short is this is just crazy. We This is the first time we've seen the White Walkers make more White Walkers. And we I blame, have no, we have I blame no idea. Pastor. Yeah, it's it's Crasher's fault for sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap this shit on this this shit up. This went way too long. Um, 
as a whole, yeah, this is a garbage episode. I think you're right. The last scene was the most intriguing part of it. <laughs> but we spent so much time talking about it. Well, no, no. Okay, so here's yeah. the thing. When you fill out, like, customer surveys, uh, you yeah. fill them out for two reasons. Because you loved it or you fucking hated it. And we yep. hated it, so we filled it out. We filled out the comments card, like, the actual... We, we flipped the card over and wrote on the back. Um. So just like when I tried to fill fill out the uh, survey about Star Wars Battlefront on uh, Xbox One, <laughs> hey, it looks. I swear, that, I swear, I spent thirty minutes filling out that survey, and I still was not finished. And I just said, I spent enough time of my life playing that stupid game, <laughs> and you know what? It was probably less than five or six hours because it was fucking terrible. Did they give you uh, money back or respond? No, I didn't finish the survey, man. I'm not going to spend an hour and a half. <laughs> I was going to spend it over more than like a quarter of the time I played. I spent playing the game, filling out a survey. It was terrible. Well, then no one's going to know, except for the well, one I guy who listens knew. to this. I think they have a pretty good idea of how bad that game was. I I love to hear like I love to find out that like the guy who like the project manager on it like listens to this podcast and it's like what? <laughs> but I did you see how uh, the sound effects sounded George awesome? Lucas. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great if George Lucas listens to this. Anyway, let's rate this bullshit. Uh, I'm going to give it a 1.5. I guess, I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't like technically a, uh, like it wasn't like there was boom mics in the shot, I guess. <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't an Ed Wood movie. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and there I, was I'm intrigue it, at the end. I'm going to give it a 1.5, and I would give it a 1. I think one's probably the lowest rating I would give to any episode. And I only give the 1.5 because of the White Walker scene at the end. And that's it. I agree. I'm trying to think back right yeah. now. Just like, and I just talked about this episode. What else is good, Doug? What else is good? In this I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm just going through the uh, things right now. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. For, and I, I disagree with your earlier assertion that this pushes the plot forward. I guess it does a little bit like Jamie sending out Brienne. Um, yeah. Jamie meeting with um, Tyrion really doesn't Tyrion, do anything. Yeah. Like, I guess Tommen meeting with Marcella is the beginning of their relationship, but that was going to happen anyway. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it had to happen. Could have probably been taken less than half the time. A lot of this stuff had to happen, but it's, it was boring as shit. I, I agree, hundred percent. So, uh, so that, that you're right. I think I think the worst part about this is this is two crappy episodes in a row. So it's gonna be rough. I'm not as excited uh, for next week's episode. I do remember there being a couple good ones this season, so I'm not down in the dumps, but still not excited for next week's episode. Nope. It's got to be better though. Got to be better than the last two. You know what? I like your positive attitude. <laughs> That's me. Okay, so guys, uh, if there's nothing right, else. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye.